0: Can Be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. How do I speak up here? Good morning. Well, I appreciate that introduction, and uh, we're just getting settled. Just take me a moment. This is this is this is massive here. This is great. You guys doing good? All right, good. Well, uh, first of all, Pastor Dave Metzger and Karen Metzger are great friends of mine, and Dave is one of those guys who just believes in people. How many of you have found that to be the case? I know he's been here probably. He's been here a year. And uh, I know that both Dave and Karen uh, believe in people, and I'm one of those that they've believed in, and I really appreciate their friendship, their partnership, and my ministry over the last several years. I want to also extend my greeting to to Pastor Ron and his family. I know they're not here. I haven't actually met Pastor Ron, so I missed that opportunity. I I know that he's uh, an amazing man, and I just wish that we could have met. We will meet hopefully soon, but I wanted to extend my audio greeting to him. I know that he'll be listening. Hopefully to one of these, that would be wonderful. But, anyways, I bring my greeting from Mill Creek Foursquare Church. My name is Ben Dixon. I am one of the associate pastors uh, up in Linwood, Everett, Washington, in that area. And uh, I have a ministry called Ignite Global. And what we do is we go around to strengthen the church and to reach those that are lost and have not found their way through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have we were national, and now we're going international. God is opening doors for us for, uh, for the sake of his gospel, so it's a privilege and it's an honor to be with you here this morning. Many of you probably have never heard of me, uh, and that's quite all right, to be really honest with you. I wanted to let you know of a few things before I open the Word. If you're eager to open the Bible and you want to know where we're going to land, you can open to John chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 6. We will get to the Word in just a moment, but I want to let you know I brought some things with me. And I've developed resources. I write books. We put together CD, uh, DVD, series, things like that for people because we believe in discipleship. And we're an on-the-go generation, and so I love to put together materials that people can take and they can read and they can listen to when they're out and about, they're on the go. And I brought some stuff with me. It is for sale, and I want to let you know something before you think I'm a salesman. I've never, since 2008, I've never taken a dollar off of anything that we've sold, ever. No salaries. I have a group of volunteers that put all this stuff together because we believe in discipleship. Every dollar that we take in, every sale of every book, every sale of every CD series, it goes straight out to Reaching the Lost. It goes straight out to discipleship in the nations. We'll be in Sri Lanka. We'll be in Turkey, which is an unreached people group, 70 million people, 99% Muslim We're going to places that God opens the door. In Mexico, we have some incredible things that are just beginning to go on there. And we see a lot of people, we're seeing people come to the Lord and be awakened, the church be awakened in this hour to represent Jesus well. And so all of the money that we take in, it's utterly accountable through the local church, our local church, which is a four-square church. And at the same time, it goes out. So I just want you to know that. I'm not trying to pressure you. I don't want your money. I'm not asking for anything. I'm just saying that you can know that when you even buy a book... It's one way of helping fund our ministry, and I love that model, um, how, we, how we do that, and I pray that it's always that way. But I did write a book called Hearing God, and this is basically just my journey. I taught this topic for 10 years about how to hear the voice of God. How many of you know what, I'm, what I mean when I say, people all around, they say, I heard God speak to me, and we don't really know what that means. I and mean, what exactly are you talking about? Was that audible? Uh, are you, are, is that just sort of the, the pizza that you had last night, or what is really happening with you? Uh, and there are people that we, you know, CNN or Fox News will highlight, and this person said that they heard God, and clearly they didn't hear God. They're sort of crazy, but uh, it's just really important to know uh, how to hear the voice of God, and Scripture has a lot to say about that, so I taught it for 10 years before I wrote the book, and we had a class called Hearing God. It turned into a meeting, which began to grow, and From that time, I wrote what I had learned from Scripture and from also having these courses and these classes where we would just come and pray and learn together. And it was out of of those meetings that I wrote this book. And so it just talks about how God speaks. It talks about relationship with God, how the Scripture, which is the eternal voice of God, how that works with the voice of the Holy Spirit. They're always congruent. They always flow together. They're never contradictory. And I also talk about discerning the voice of God in the midst of a culture of noise and Things like that. And, and there's my heart and soul is in this, and that we did bring uh, some of those. And we also, there's a few of us in here, and we're like, man, I don't, I don't read. And I'm like, I got you. I got you. I knew prophetically that you were going to be here. I knew it. And so, no, we, uh, we took, in our church, we took uh, 10 weeks to go through the entire book, and I taught through the book week by week and just poured out my heart on this topic. And in our church, hearing the voice of God has become normal in, in, in the context of accountability, You could say amen at any time. That would be a really, really good time. Some of you, like, I don't know what amen means. You could just say, give me some of that, or, I mean, it's all legal. Ouch. I don't know. Something, but it's good to know that we're alive and well this morning. But, um, and I like response. Just good response, though. There's bad response. You could save that for your spouse on the way home, but um, (laughs) totally just being serious. I'm just being serious. It's fine. Um, Some of you need a good laugh, I can tell. I'm looking at you. Just... Don't hold back. It's okay. But anyways, these are—it's uh, a CD series, and uh, it goes to the book, and that might be for you as well. So, anyways, I have all that out there, and it's available. And if you pick it up, it's part of my heart, and it's an extension to you. So that's that. I also—I uh, want to um, simply just show you my family because you're like, who is this guy? And I want to—I want to show you some pictures of my family who I've missed very much this morning, and I, and I can't wait to see them. Uh, obviously, this is my beautiful wife, Bridget, in the middle there, and uh, when I married my wife, I was 24 years old, and she was 27, so I married up, literally, and, in every way, uh, but she had a 9- and 11-year-old boy and two different fathers, and she was a single mom, and so I adopted those. Those look like grown men to me. I don't know about you, but anyways, they didn't look like that when I got them, Okay. <laughs> And yes, they're not white, so you can tell that as well. It's really awesome. We have genders, generations, and nations in our home, and I just think that's the body of Christ anyways. That's my testimony. And so this is uh, on the right side of the two young men. That's Isaiah. Uh, he's actually our junior high pastor at our church, so I'm his boss and his dad, which is really ma- amazing. I speak for him, of course. And then on the left, that's Avante, and he's, uh, he's our army man. He's stationed in Germany. He's in Nuremberg right now, um, waiting to be deployed. And then uh, on the right side is uh, my beautiful princess, Azariah. She's grabbing a hold of my seven-year-old Hurricane Judah. And... uh we, we say he's, a, he's, a, he's my little t- walking tornado when we go to people's houses. I just apologize in advance, prophetically, because I know something's going to happen. I just don't know what is going to get broken. You, know, you understand? Anybody have one of those? So he's amazing. He's my little sweet warrior. He'll, he, he hugs everybody, but then he punches you. And for men, that's dangerous because he's about that tall. So, you know, that's... <laughs> Share that with your spouse on the way home. It's fine. <laughs> it's my sweet warrior. So anyways, this is my family... I'm very, very human, and uh, I love them very much. So anyways, that's a piece of me right there. As you have your Bibles open at John chapter 6, let me just pray, and uh, I'm really excited to be here open the Word with you guys. I love the Bible, and I pray that God would do something in our hearts to stir us up to be people that could be used by Him. Amen? Amen. So Father, we just thank You this morning for Your Word, and we we believe that Your Word opens our eyes. It sheds light on our path. It's a lamp into our feet. Uh, And it's a a light to our ways. And Lord, we ask that you would illuminate this scripture this morning and that you would stir our hearts to receive from you and uh, and to be bold and to grab a hold of whatever you've called us to do, knowing that your spirit is empowering us to do it, that we would not be ashamed and that we would not be afraid and we would not hold back. We would not be uh, full of fear, but we would be full of faith. And I pray this morning for a rich deposit from your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This morning I have a word on my heart and the message is called, What Do You Have? It was not long ago. There are times where I wake up. This happens to me very often. I shared this with the men on Friday night as well. The steak men's barbecue. Somebody say that is some good stuff. Uh, Steak men's barbecue is a thick steak too, so thank you for that. Uh, But I I shared with the men that uh, there are times I wake up in the morning and God speaks to me. You know, it doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen at times. And I woke up one morning, and I like to develop messages from what I believe the Lord is saying to me. I woke up one morning, and I heard the Lord say to me, what do you have? And I didn't really know what that meant. And as I was in Scripture, I came upon John chapter 6, which is what I'm going to share with you uh, this morning. But I want to convince you of something that you may already be convinced of. But I want to at least encourage you down this road and stir your heart even once again. And that is is that God uses people. My theme is all about today is God uses people. He uses people to to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ all across the planet. His plan is to use us to accomplish his purposes in this world. We are the means by which God accomplishes his plan and purposes. And so it's very, very important that we know that when we wake up in the morning that God wants to use me today. He wants to use me to impact and influence somebody for his glory, for his kingdom, and for his purposes. And I find this to be a very serious responsibility, and I want to talk to you about it because he uses people to feed the hungry, and he uses people to comfort the afflicted, and he he uses people to strengthen the weak. God uses people. He gives us his word, his charge, and he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And then he says, go, and I want you to make disciples. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to love even the unlovely. I want you to pray for those even when they despitefully use you. He uses all of us, and he wants us to know this morning and to be encouraged that we have purpose in our life that he wants to use us for. And I want to say to you very, very clearly that being used by God is not about worthiness. It's about willingness. Being used by the Lord is not about worthiness, it's about willingness. God wants to bring us to a place where we see him and we see his purposes and they are the priority of our heart and we realize that we are his plan and we are the means by which he's going to move in this world. When we step up in faith, God will show up in power. See, this morning I want to call you to step up and I want to call you to step step out because when we do that, God will show up and I think God will show off. Paul said it the best, I believe, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, And we have this treasure, speaking of the Holy Spirit, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, not titanium vessels, not silver vessels, not shiny, wonderful. I mean, we try to look nice on the outside. And by the way, you guys look pretty good. But he said, We have this treasure in, you're welcome, in earthen vessels. To show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from ourselves. Isn't that amazing? That God wants to show off through your life. He wants to bring his glory to bear in this world through our life. And that every one of us is a landing strip for the purposes and the glory and the spirit of God. Every one of us is a tool by which he wants, he wants to use in, in, in very real ways. And you look through scripture and you find that God calls people in these different times. I love the stories When God calls people to be used for his glory and his purposes, and they always seem to question God whether or not he made the right choice. And there's probably a deep insecurity in every human being when God calls them to do something for his purpose. There's probably some level of insecurity. Are you sure? God's always sure, by the way. Isn't that that true? What do you mean am I sure? Of course I'm sure. I wouldn't have said it unless I was sure. I like saying that to people. I go to Starbucks, and I try to pay for somebody, and they go, are you sure? And I go, well, I don't think my credit card would be out unless, are you questioning me? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure about this, but it's one of those silly things we say to one another. Anyways, all right, oh, not funny. But, uh, you know, you look at the story of Moses, right? The whole Exodus story. God, um, Moses is actually walking by. He's now a shepherd for 40 years for his father-in-law, Jethro. And he's walking by a bush that's burning, and it's not burning up. Exodus chapter 3. And so he has this encounter, you know, God says, take off your, your shoes for this is holy ground, and he does, and he has this encounter with God. Moses encounters God, and God speaks to him, and he calls him to deliver his nation, Israel, and they're in captivity and bondage to the most occult nation that's probably ever existed, Egypt. He says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, and I want you to tell him to let my people go, all of, my, all of his slave labor, I want you to deliver all of them out. Sounds like a really good plan. And so Moses, of course, questions question God's pick, you know, are you sure? And then in Exodus chapter 4, he makes this comment, he makes this comment, it's, it's right here, he says, um, what do I do, or what if they don't believe that you appear to me? And he's not only speaking for Pharaoh, but he's also speaking for the, his fellow Israelites. What am I supposed to do? If they don't believe that you appeared to me. And you know what God's response was to Moses? This is exactly what God says in Exodus chapter 4 to Moses' question. He says, what is in your hand? I mean, this doesn't sound like it meshes very well with the context of the conversation. He says, what is in your hand? And he goes, it's just a stick. It's just a staff. It's a shepherd's rod. And a shepherd, being a shepherd is not like this glorious occupation in the ancient world. And so I can imagine... Moses saying, "There's nothing in my hand. I don't have anything in my hand. What are you talking about?" He would, of course wouldn't say that, but that's probably what he's thinking. And he goes, "Well, I have this staff." And he says, "Throw your staff down." And he does. And remember, it becomes a snake. And he does what most normal, sane people do. He runs, because you know we're not that kind of church. Amen. This is right. Okay, you just run. Snake, bad bites, you die. Just run. Just you say, just go. Uh, so anyways, he comes back and God says, "I want you to pick the staff back up." He picks it up by the tail becomes a staff. Remember the same staff later on after he delivered the nation of Israel. God says, "I want you to take your staff and I want you to put it over what the sea? Remember that, And what happens when he chooses to put his staff by the word of the Lord over the sea? What happens? the sea parts ladies and gentlemen, that really happened by the way. I just like to I like to let everybody know that was a real story It's not f- fiction. The Prince of Egypt, you know it really happened, but he But listen, what would happen if Moses didn't take his staff and put it over the sea? It's a real simple answer. Nothing. Isn't it amazing that God uses what's in our hand? See, often what we're doing is when God calls us to do something, we're looking for God to give us more. We're looking for God to give us whatever we think that we need. And matter of fact, I think some of us are looking for God to make us like somebody else. And that's why we question him, don't we? We go, I think you chose the wrong person. I think this person would do it better. I think that person is smarter. I think that person looks better. I think that person is more gifted, more talented. We have every excuse in the world, but God is looking straight at us, and he's saying, no, I want to use you. And I know exactly what I'm doing, and I know exactly what my word can do, and I know exactly what the power of my spirit can do in your life, and I know exactly that you are the right person to be used for the thing that I'm calling you to do. What do you have what is God calling upon in your life and my life right now to be used for his glory and his purposes that's the question that I have for you what is in your hand and what do you have now in John chapter 6 we find that there's this story I think that's very familiar to most of us it's the five loaves and the two fish story and I want to share the story with you maybe with a little bit of a different a little bit of a different, uh, of a different view And just some context in John chapter 6, you see in John chapter 5 to John chapter 6, there's about a six-month gap. Now, we often think that things happen the very next day, but when you read the scriptures, you've got to know that... Chronologically, there are often gaps in Scripture that aren't recorded, and so what we do know from John chapter five to John chapter six is that Jesus is ministering from place to place, and he's doing all of the good stuff. He's healing the sick, he's casting out demons, he's raising the he's raising the dead. Somebody say Amen. That's amazing. <laughs> Jesus raises the dead, he he really does, and and so he's doing all of this, he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven, and he's proclaiming uh, proclaiming his message, and so he's traveling, and Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, travels into the mountain region, and this is a place, when Jesus goes into the mountain, it's a place that he goes to pray, but this time he brings his disciples with him, so it's a very important moment, and we just go ahead and pick up the story here in John chapter 6, verse 1, I'll read it. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, and a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, he says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that all these may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was about to do. Now I just want to park right there. I just think it's kind of unfair. <laughs> what are we going to do? He already knows. What are we going to do? He already knows. Anyways, all right. And this is what Philip says. This he was saying to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip answers him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are are these for so many people? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down in number of of about 5,000. And uh, we know that with men, women, and children, there could have been upwards to 20,000, maybe 10, maybe 20. We don't really know. But there was about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed those to to those who were seated. Likewise also of the fish, 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 as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up all the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 basketfuls with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet. Who is to come into the world. And he's speaking, of course, meaning the prophet according to Deuteronomy chapter 18. So, not just a prophet, but the prophet. It's very important to know that. I just want to bring up three points um, before we we close uh, this morning. And the first point that I want to bring up from this passage is, is simply this God knows what we have, and God knows what we don't have. I know this is not rocket science, but it's a very important observation. In verse 5, Jesus asked Philip where they were going to get all the bread for all the people. And he knew that they didn't have money. Jesus knew they didn't have money. He knew that they didn't have the resources. He knew they didn't have the bread. He knew they didn't even, even if they did have the money, he knew that they didn't have the time to go into the city to buy the bread that would be enough just for everybody to have a piece of toast. He knew all that. Jesus knows what he's always going, he always knows what he's going to do. But he also knows what you and I have and don't have, and it's important to know that because it's not just about what we have, it's about who we have. See, what was Jesus doing when he was asking Philip this question? Was he trying to be mean? Hey, Philip, what are we going to do with all these people? How are we going to feed them? Was, what kind of a test was this? It says he was testing Philip. What was he testing him? He was testing Philip. He was drawing faith out of Philip's heart to believe That we can do something because the person standing next to me is the one that knows how to multiply bread and fish. The one that's standing next to me is the one that can raise the dead. The one that's standing next to me is the one that can heal the sick. I am walking with Jesus Christ, which means miracles can happen. That it's not just about what I have. He doesn't leave me to fulfill every situation and every lack in my life. What he wants me to do, what he wants Philip to do, what he wants us to do is trust him. When we're in a situation that tests us and we don't have whatever it takes to get the job done, We've got to remember it's not about our lack and what we do or don't have, it's about who we have in our life. We are standing next to Jesus Christ, and Jesus has an answer for every situation that we have going on in our life right now. And when we're engaged in kingdom business, you better believe it, and I know this to be true, you better believe that He's always got an answer. Jesus is not ignorant. There's no value in ignorance whatsoever, and he knows that to be the case. He knows what he's going to do, and I would say always. And so when we don't know what to do, we're walking with someone who does know what to do. I think it's a very popular thing today for people to say, well, I don't know. You ask people like, "What do you think?" Well, I don't know. It's like so common. I hear it all the time. Well, I don't know. I'm not. like, "What do you know?" I mean, but here's the thing. You don't have to know everything, but you do got to know that you're walking with somebody that does. And like one of my mentors always says, like, "Go with what you know and what you need to know. You'll know when you need to know it." Don't ask me to say that twice. <laughs> We're walking with Jesus, and it's really all about what what we have. Friend you and I know this to be the case, that life is full of I-don't-know-what-to-do moments. Amen? Amen? Just the way it is, right? And so as much as I, I'm preaching this message, this isn't a cute message for me. When I was 24, I showed you a picture of, of these young, huge men. <laughs> I was 24, and I had a 9- and 11-year-old. I even had people tell me, don't you marry that girl. You don't know what you're doing. I had people say that to me. Now, it's, it's just... I don't know, it's just one of the wonders of the world that people talk the way they do, okay? And I had folks say crazy stuff like that, but you know what? God put it in my heart that I could trust Him to be a father when I was still trying to figure out how to be a young man. But see, that's kind of the way that we lean. You know, we're always looking at what we don't have. We're always looking at what we don't know instead of trusting God, and was it hard for me? Absolutely. I'm not going to lie to you. It was rough. We had some rough patches, okay? We, we had to get counsel and we had to read books. I mean, I read James Dobson's book on raising boys and I'll tell you, it was not helpful focus on the family man. <laughs> There's one point in his book on raising up boys, it literally says, and I have it like underlined in my copy, it says that um, this is the reason that God gave us boys as babies so they're so cute so that if cuz if he gave us gave them to us as teenagers we'd probably kill him and I'm like that's not helpful <laughs> I got two that are going through puberty and I feel like what you just said in the latter version <laughs> you know but I'll tell you something, God has been faithful to me, and I bet you he's been faithful to you. All of these years that I've walked with him, 17 years, I came out of drug addiction, I came out of sexual addiction, I came out of alcoholic tendencies, I came out of family dysfunction, and Jesus Christ has been faithful to me every day. Has it been hard? You bet it's been hard. Have I had some hiccups along the way? You absolutely bet I have, but I'll tell you what, he's been faithful. And when I didn't know what to do, he knew what I had, and he knew what I didn't have, but he also knew that he was capable and that as long as I could trust that I was walking with somebody that had what I didn't have, I'd be all right. He doesn't need a lot. He just needs all you got. <laughs> Come on, that felt right. Because <laughs> it's all about how you feel. When I started writing books, you know, I didn't have an English degree. And I had a lot of people say, do you have, do you have an English degree? I was like, No. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a word from the Lord when I was uh, about 21 years old or 20 21 years old I was at a meeting in Kennewick Washington and this prophet from Egypt calls me out of a meeting of about the same number of people calls me out of the meeting has me stand up and gives me this downloaded prophetic word about me writing books and all this stuff and I'm like you missed it man I mean, you know you're talking about writing books I don't even write in my I don't even write a journal I read the Bible, that's it. I don't write anything. I mean, I didn't do the Life Journal. I didn't know Wayne Cadero, I understand. I didn't know any of that stuff. And so he's like, you're gonna write books and blah, blah, blah. And I just thought the guy missed it. But I went home, that word opened a door in my heart and I went home and guess what I started doing? I started journaling. And then I started writing sermons but I didn't have anywhere to preach yet. And I started writing curriculum and I didn't have anywhere to teach it. And before you know it, I'm teaching classes and people are coming, believe it or not, people are coming to listen to what I have to say. This is fascinating. It's gotta be God. And then they're asking me things like, oh, you're writing a book? Do you have an English degree? And I'm like, no, but there are these beautiful people called editors. (laughs) And they love to do this stuff. I don't even understand them at all. But they love it. And there's people like Dave Metzger who champion you on, you understand? Because it's not about what I have. It's about what God calls me to do to trust him for what I don't have. And he helps us. Friends, he helps us. The second point is this. God wants us to give him what we have. In verse 8, Andrew mentions that there is a boy with five loaves and two fish, but the Bible actually records, he, he kind of doubtfully mentions it. But what, what are these for all these people? I mean, Here's a boy that's got five loaves. He's got a lunch, but I mean, come on. Like what? So, so the question is, Andrew, why'd you even bring it up? <laughs> he brought it up because it was all that they had. It was all that they had. Here's this boy, he's got five loaves and, uh, and two fish. And, and by the way... What boy would have even known, as he woke up that morning and his mom supplied him with his his lunch, what boy would have known that that lunch that he was carrying was going to be the means by which Jesus would use to feed thousands? Listen, how many of us are sitting here today, and we might have something in our pocket, something in our mind, something in our heart, and we are carrying something that God can use to touch thousands, and we have no idea that it's even within us? Because we we got to get over ourselves. We look down on ourselves. We just kind of do one of these, and we live our life like, oh, I'm nobody. And we even criticize people that way. I mean, trust me, I'm a target up for it, really. And so it's like, oh, that person said this, and that person. We're just conditioned to look down on ourselves, to feel inferior, and we're conditioned to look at other people the exact same way. And God wants us to bring, he wants to bring us out of that so he can use us for his glory. But we've got to give him everything that we have. We've got to bring him our five loaves and two fish Andrew mentions this is what they have, and Jesus says, bring it to me. Bring everything that you have to me. And that's what he calls us to do this morning. Whatever you have, bring it to me. Bring it to me, and I'll use it. I remember when I became a youth pastor, this was about 13 years ago or so, and the reason that I became a youth pastor was not because I was called to be a youth pastor. I, I'm not even sure that I've ever been felt called to be a pastor I just would talk and I would live and I would share the gospel and I would serve people and I was asked to preach and I've never asked to preach. I, I, I didn't get a certificate in it by the time I started doing it. It was just people would ask me to do what I do. And so I've never really felt called. I've just been serving people and I was serving Jesus. And in the midst of that, here I, here I am, okay, okay. And so, you know, I remember when I became a youth pastor, I was that because our senior leader came to me and said, hey, we've got a bunch of youth and we've got no guy to help them. I kind of got it, you know. So I became the youth pastor through that one encounter. And before you know it, that's what I'm doing. And I remember he sent me to City Church. In our area, there's a big church called City Church. And Judah Smith wasn't the pastor back then. He was like uh, the youth pastor. And so he sent me to City Church so that I could go listen to all of these really hip, good-looking, awesome, trendy youth pastor guys. And I don't put them down, but they had it all together. You know, they've got the big... I've got like 10 kids that are picking their nose half the time when they're looking, like why, I remember, I remember even the pastor's son, one day I get done preaching and he looks at me, he goes, why do you talk like that? <laughs> That's what he said to me. And it's not like you could take that to his parent, you know. And I said, is this a piece of your brain? Because it might be helpful if it's in and working while you talk to another human being, but I, I mean, I didn't say that, I promise, but I was thinking it. I was thinking it, I'm just letting you in because you don't think like that, you're very holy, look at you what you are how was the drive-in spouses how was it so or the drive home for that matter but I went I went to uh I went to this big city church and it was great and 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 then we had like a hundred youth pastors there and everybody was just super excited and talking about things like budgets I was like what's a budget we don't have one of those and they were talking about all the numbers and people that are giving their lives to the Lord I was like I've got 10 kids And you know what I would do? Every time I would go to get equipped at this church, this is how I felt. I felt like this walking out of that place every single week. I felt worse every time I went. Why? Because I didn't relate to any of these people whatsoever. And you know what I learned? Comparison kills us. That's what I learned. When we compare ourselves to somebody else, it kills us on the inside. Because inevitably what ends up happening is we disqualify ourselves before we even try anything. Before we even put our hand to serve God, before we even step out and speak for Him, before we even do anything for Jesus, we disqualify ourselves because we have already sized ourselves up against somebody else that we think is doing it better than we would ever do it. Don't ever do that. Can I encourage you this morning and hear this with a good heart? Don't compare yourself to anybody else. You are not anybody else. I am not anybody else. And we are not going to do it the same way, and God doesn't want us to. What he puts on the inside of us is unique and is specifically prescribed for us to be his vessel in the world that we live in and nobody else can take our place. And God won't even allow it. We've got to be used by God with the gifts and the skills and the abilities that we have where we are with what we have. And God calls upon us every day of our life. What do you have? And he says, bring it to me. And when you bring it to me, my third point is simply this. God will take what we have and he will multiply it when we give it to him. God will take what we have and he will multiply it when we give it to him. Isn't it interesting in the story I'm wrapping up, so I probably would need somebody to come, the, one of the music guys, Jeremy, or whatever. But isn't it interesting in the story, when you look at this, Jesus, when they brought, when they brought the five loaves and the two fish to Jesus, he took it, and the Bible says that he gave thanks. In another, one of the other gospel accounts, it says he broke the bread and he gave thanks. There's just a point right there that I'm going to stop and mention. What if we started thanking God for what we have Instead of asking God for more like we don't have something already. I wonder if that would just change our ministry or that would change our purpose in this life. What if we started thanking God? God, I thank you for what I do have. I thank you that you've given me. I mean, shoot, you can, if you don't know where to start, hands and feet and eyeballs. I mean, you just start where you are today. If you can't recognize anything else, just start with what you have. I thank you for breath. I thank you that th- I have a second chance. I thank you that I have a fifth chance today to serve the living God. Wherever you are, you can just thank him right there. I bet you that would change things. But they brought everything to Jesus, and the Bible says that he took it, and he broke it, and then what he does is he distributes it to the boys, you know, the, the disciples, and as he gives it to them, they start passing it out, and the miracle doesn't happen until they start to give away what they have. See, here's what happens. We wait for God to give us more. I'm not gonna go serve God until I have more than what I have. You know what? That is a lie. That is the lie that keeps us frozen right here where we are And God's like, Come, give me what you have and I will multiply what you have when you bring it to me and I will use it for my glory. It'll shock you. Moses was shocked. Elisha was, was shocked. The disciples were shocked. Show me a person in Scripture that was just saying, well, of course that would happen. This is me. I mean, you just don't see it. <laughs> well, of course, I'm just that amazing, of course. That's probably Judas' perspective. It didn't really end up well for him, did it? No, I don't think so. And so this is what I want to say to you this morning. I want to ask you this question. What do you have? What is in your hand? What is in your heart? What is in your mind? That the Lord is calling on you to bring forward, lay it down at his feet that he can use it for his glory and for his purposes. I'm not talking about us having amazing stuff in this. I'm talking about King Jesus being glorified through our life. That everything that we do and everything that we say in our family and our church and our neighborhood and our ministries and all that we do that King Jesus would be glorified through what we do and he will be when we give him what we already have because he already he's the one that gave it To us and so all we're really doing is we're giving it back to him saying use me for your glory and use me for your purposes but I'll tell you this morning I believe that the Lord is asking us this question what do you have don't wait don't wait don't compare yourself to to any to anybody else It, it just it's just not comparison well let's just face it it just sucks it's terrible and it kills us and God doesn't call us to do that he calls us to bring our whole selves to him He can can use all all that we are for His glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if you would come, I want to, um, I think I want to come up. We're going to lead with a song. Is that how we're going to do this? And I want to, I have something to share that's stirring my heart, but I want to, I don't want to let you out late, okay? Do I have a minute, James? Can I share just a minute? Okay, all right, all right, so good. Are you guys okay? I'm going to do it anyways, but I think it's good to ask for permission, but. (laughs) Is that okay? All right, anyway, all right. Um, last year, the Lord gave me a dream, and I don't get a lot of dreams from the Lord. I, I get a, I, and I don't even remember bad, weird dreams. I just don't get dreams. But when I get a dream from the Lord, it's significant. I had this dream last year, and um, every January, the Lord gives me like a theme or something that uh, we, we take a whole week, and we fast, and we pray, we go away, no you know, email or communication or whatever. We just seek the Lord for a year for our church and, and also for wherever I travel, and the Lord gave me this dream, and I was in a sanctuary. Just, I'm just playing this out for you. I was, in a, I was in an auditorium like this size, and I was right about halfway here. And I'm looking up at the stage, and there's nobody leading worship, and there's nobody teaching. And I'm looking all around, and there's all of these people on the chairs, and they're, they're sat in the seats, and they're kind of dozing. You know, you, know the, you know what I'm talking They're not fully asleep, but they're kind of half-sleepy. And I'm just walking around, and I'm looking at everybody, I'm thinking, what's going on here? What's that? Maybe people are waiting for the worship to happen, or they're waiting for the preacher to come out. I just wasn't really sure what was happening. And I'm walking down the aisle, and then I notice this table on what would be the left side as I'm facing the stage. I notice the table, and there's an alarm clock on the table. And I go, oh, well, people are just kind of taking a nap. Nothing wrong with a nap. You need a little nap in your life. I'm thinking people are taking a little nap, and then they're waiting for the alarm clock to wake them up. And then, and then they're going to be up and do what, whatever they're supposed to be doing. And as I'm looking at the table and the alarm clock, I realize that the, there's a pl- the plug, the cord. It's hanging off the table, and it's not plugged into anything. And I'm looking at that, and I'm just thinking, I don't know why it is. I kind of went John the Baptist for a moment, and I started saying, I just started shrieking like God wants us to wake up, and I'm I'm walking through the sanctuary, and I'm just yelling. I'm not yelling at people, but I'm just yelling, like, God wants us to be awake. God wants us to be awake, and what we're trusting in to wake us up is not even plugged into the power source. And I realized in that moment that, that God in this hour and in this moment, I believe in these days that we're living in. These are dark days, but these are also days that the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is about to shine the brightest that we have ever seen. And I believe what he's doing is he's raising up voices. He is raising up voices in this day to say Jesus is real, and he wants his good news to go across the whole world, that every person is baptized with an opportunity to know his love for real. That it's not a game, and it's not a religion. It is real. Jesus is real. He died on a cross, he rose again, and he lives in those that follow him, and he's telling his church, follow me closely, I've got something for you in this life that is gonna reveal me to the people in your world, I don't care how dark it looks, because my light will shine brighter, my light will shine brightly through your life, he's saying, give all of yourself to me and watch what I will do with you, watch what I will do. And so there are people in this room, and I'm saying this to you. I'm not yelling at you. I'm not shouting at you. I'm not patronizing you. You and I are the body of Christ together, and I am, I am strongly urging you. I am encouraging you that in this moment, in this hour, in this day that we're living in, it is time to wake up in the name of Jesus with the power of Jesus, with the words of Jesus, with the life of Jesus on the inside of us, and stop playing religion and go for it with all of our heart, that our children, I've got children. I've got a lot of people that look up to me, and I'm a young man, and I cannot afford a false perception of myself in these days. I cannot afford it. I've got to be the real thing at the right time with the right people doing the right thing. That's the hour that we're living in, and I'm not saying to anybody here, wake up. I'm just saying, we need to wake up. Wake up. I don't think the body of Christ is dead. I think sometimes we're asleep, and Jesus is saying, awake, awake, awake into this hour. What do you have? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for what you're doing. I thank you for new life. Thank you for the pastors, the leaders, the staff here. I pray for your blessing upon this house. And I pray that in Canby, Oregon, you would forge a path. This church is a house of healing. This church is a house of hope. And I just see a river running through this church. Father, a river that does not run dry because of who you have placed here and what you're doing here. And I pray, God, that the river would begin to flow. And in fact, I prophesy that this is a hungry people. You are hungry for the Lord, and you're going to see the river of God's Spirit and the anointing of the Spirit of God come, and there are going to be healings in this place, and there's going to be baptisms of the Holy Spirit, and people are going to come to know Jesus for real here. This is a place of healing where the broken can feel safe to come and say, here's where I'm at. And we say, come on in. Father, I pray that the river would begin to flow like never before, that you would release rivers of encouragement to this entire community from new life, that in fact, this would be a place of new life. Father, I thank you for your blessing to rest on this house. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen.